Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby! I'm Liv, a huge nerd and lover of all things Greek, including its mythology and its food. I could eat olives and tzatziki for the rest of my life and feel utterly fulfilled, if supremely unhealthy. As I mentioned in the bonus mini-myth released recently, this episode was delayed as I traveled back to Toronto, a city I miss immensely, full of people I love oh so much. While in Toronto, I went to Niagara-on-the-Lake to see Stephen Fry's show Mythos at the Shaw Festival. I was only able to catch one of the shows. You see, he's really doing a trilogy, but I didn't want to spend that much time in that tiny town, and also those tickets were expensive, and I've just realized I stole my friend for buying them. Get your shit together, Liv. So I thought I'd begin this episode by talking about the experience a bit. Firstly, shortly before I went to see Stephen Fry, it was brought to my attention that he recently participated in a debate where he was on the side of Jordan Peterson, an inhuman monster who is contributing to violence against women by advocating for awful, awful ideas in the realm of men and so-called masculinity. Forced monogamy, anyone? Anyway, fuck Jordan Peterson and anyone who thinks he's even remotely intelligent or on the right side of history. So all to say, it did color my opinion of Stephen Fry just a bit. I understand that the argument was simply pro-free speech, which on its face is not a bad thing, but when it includes letting Jordan Peterson spew hatred and awfulness, I'm not entirely supportive. Aside from this poor decision on the part of Stephen Fry, the show itself was really lovely and well done. We were only able to get a ticket to see the men show, and honestly, I didn't look into what that entailed beforehand. Simply assuming that, of course, I would love it because Stephen Fry is the voice of the Harry Potter books and mythology is my jam. Conveniently, it turns out that the men show is actually about the Trojan War and the Odyssey. Though I would say maybe more so about the Odyssey. This was great news for me because I fucking love the Odyssey, and of course, here I am currently covering the Iliad and the Trojan War. Of course, in order to fit in all the information into a two-hour show, much was cut out, but it was ultimately really enjoyable and fulfilled my nerd needs. 
I sat at the edge of my seat at times, fully aware of what's coming next, but thrilled to be hearing someone who isn't me talking about these things. Of course, Zeus was not painted as the rapist that he was, but what can you do? It's being told by a man, and we all know how that goes down. Anyway, I'm not going to give you detail-by-detail rundown. If you're at all vaguely near Niagara-on-the-Lake, you should really see it yourselves, or one of his other shows, Gods or Heroes. But I will just say that it was very much worth it. The production was wonderful, and the way Stephen Fry tells the stories is super enjoyable. As an added fun anecdote, I was seated next to a couple who had just watched the Heroes show and were discussing our friend Heracles next to me. The woman made the point that a song from the Disney movie was in her head. He put the glad in gladiator. Which, sidebar, I discussed the absurdity of in the latest Patreon-specific episode. And I of course inserted myself into their conversation because of who I am. I mentioned Heracles and his foibles and also provided them with the release date of Hercules the movie, 1997, without them having to Google it. I also proved to strangers my ridiculousness and it was super satisfying. And with that, we continue on with the Iliad, the Trojan War, and all its associated wonders and madness. This is episode 33, The Iliad, part 6. Hector of Troy, a pretty decent dude. Where we last left our intrepid Greeks and Trojans, the gods had just finished bickering and fighting amongst themselves and had, for the most part, returned to Mount Olympus to mind their own fucking business. They are, of course, not even remotely done yet, but for now, they're up there and the humans are down on earth fucking each other up by themselves. The fucker-upper-in-chief is our man Diomedes, who is still utterly maniacal and really causing all the damage you could possibly imagine. Where we're at now, book six, opens with a simple list of all the people he's killing and maiming and all the other Greeks that are helping in this. It's all very pleasant and clean and not at all blood-soaked. On top of that, too, we get a seemingly pointless reference to a set of twins who were fathered by a guy who fucked a nymph. Another example of the sheer amount of unnecessary details included in Homer. The man really needed a substantive editor. Diomedes and the other Greeks continue to fuck up the Trojans until the Trojans are overwhelmed and overcome by the Greeks, and so overwhelmed that they start thinking about retreating back into the cities and into the walls of Troy itself. Along the way, Adrestus, a Trojan, is captured by Menelaus. His horses flee and there's chaos around as the Trojans and all their horses and chariots are headed toward Troy to get away from the rampaging Greeks. Menelaus approaches the captured Adrestus, who tries to bargain for his life, imploring Menelaus to keep him alive and offer a ransom for his return. You'll get some good shit, Adrestus tells Menelaus. My dad is super duper rich and we've got loads of bronze and gold and iron and it's all super nice. Seriously, you'll want to keep me alive. Menelaus is feeling a bit sold on this option, before Agamemnon shows up and enforces his complete and utter lack of care or empathy on the situation. Agamemnon has a speech for Menelaus about any possible pity he might feel toward the Trojans. Agamemnon says to his brother, Menelaus, you simpleton! How could you show such tender concern for a Trojan life? Did the Trojans treat you so generously when they were your honored guests at your own palace? No, we must not leave a single Trojan alive, not even the baby boy that his mother still holds in her womb. Not even one must slip from our hands now. All the males must be slaughtered, every last male in Troy, unmourned, unburied. 
which is a bit intense, Agamemnon. I mean, it's pretty hardcore. Anyway, Agamemnon is hardcore evil, and he's convincing Menelaus to be the same. All because some dudes visited his house and made off with his lady. I mean, it's not great, but does everyone deserve to die for it? I'm just not convinced. And with that, Menelaus allows Agamemnon to stab Adrestus in the chest with his spear. He then puts his foot on the man's chest and uses it as leverage to wrench the spear from his bloody and broken chest. The Trojan forces are weaker than ever at this point. They're sad and defeated, having lost so many of their most important soldiers. They're really feeling discouraged, to say the absolute least. Nestor, one of the leaders of the Greeks, recognizes this. He uses this moment to send a message, and he speaks to the Greeks. He tells them that they need to focus simply on the killing. Let's focus on the murder, guys. That's the important thing, he might have said, but probably didn't. He went on to tell them that they can steal all the dead Trojans' valuables, weapons, armor, any and everything, after. After they've defeated them entirely. Leave that for later. That'll be the treat at the end of the war. Isn't war awesome? So glad we've come so far as a society. Meanwhile, amongst the Trojans, another of Priam's sons, Helenus, who's described as, quote, the wisest of those who can scan the flight patterns of birds. So, you know, he's real smart. He says to Aeneas and Hector, Troy's two most important generals, that they must rally all the Trojan men before they have a chance to run home and into the safety of Troy's walls. Before they can retreat entirely, they must rally, must continue on against the Greeks, even if it seems pretty damn pointless at this exact moment. He tells Hector to go into the city and speak with his mother, Queen Hecuba, who I suppose we're to assume is not, in fact, also Helenus's mother, even though Helenus is a son of Priam. Ah, the Greeks. So Helenus tells Hector to go into the city and ask his mother to take all her women and pray to Athena. Athena can help them, he suggests. Specifically, Helenus suggests that these prayers to Athena should include a specific ask. Hecuba and her women must ask Athena to prevent Diomedes from continuing after them and from breaking through the Trojan walls. This is, of course, a whole new level of dramatic irony, given the secret behind Diomedes' madman tendencies as of late. With a brief but rousing speech to the assembled Trojans, Hector rides off into the city to ask this of his mother and the other women. As Hector rides off and into Troy, two other men meet on the field. Glaucus and Diomedes meet. Glaucus, a Trojan, and Diomedes, a Greek. They exchange pseudo-pleasantries before Glaucus fumbles into an epic story about his heritage, which includes much information about Bellerophon. And so I reiterate how excited I am to finally get to tell the story of Bellerophon. Soon, my friends. Soon. But for now, the point of this is that after Glaucus ends his endless story about his heritage, Diomedes recognizes a connection between the two men. They have ancestors who hosted another ancestor. Old Bellerophon was hosted in Xenia by Diomedes' grandfather. This apparently makes them connected. Diomedes announced that he will be Glaucus' guest sometime in Lycia, and the same will be true whenever Glaucus visits Argos. 
Diomedes, in a very manic sort of way, announces that essentially these men are now official besties, and as such, they cannot kill each other on the battlefield. They must stay aware and not accidentally kill the other bestie. Important. And with that, they embrace. And just as quickly as that, we're told that Zeus took Glaucus's wits away and the two men inexplicably exchanged their armor. Glaucus's gold for Diomedes's bronze. We're told that Glaucus lost quite a bit of equity in this exchange. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hector arrives in the city walls of Troy, and he finds his mother. He tells her what he was told by Hellenus, that she and the other women must worship at the temple of Athena. Give her anything she wants, including some cows that are pure in some way that I won't try to understand. Hector tells Hecuba specifically to ask that Athena stop Diomedes from his rampage against the Trojans. And with that again, I will emphasize the dramatic irony. I mean, this is thousands of years ago, and here they are introducing this epically interesting conflict. Diomedes, the very man being helped by Athena and told to run an utter muck with her goddessy magic... And now, the other side is trying to equally to convince Athena to take away the very power she has given to Diomedes. The fucking Greeks were fucking brilliant, you guys. Honestly, sometimes I just can't fully express how incredible their storytelling abilities were. My heart aches with the awesomeness. Next, Hector visits his infamous brother, Paris. Paris, we're told, is basically just hiding out in his epic epic mansion, his palace. He has this incredible palace, and there Hector finds him cleaning and polishing his armor, as if he hasn't totally abandoned the battle and the war itself. The war that he started. Paris is kind of the worst, you guys. Hector finds Paris there, polishing away like nothing is wrong, and he rightfully tells him off. He calls him a coward, though not in so many words, but he does point out the truth. Trojans are fighting and dying in his name, and he is hiding in his palace like a true turd. Paris, at least outwardly, agrees with his brother. He tells him that he's basically too grief-stricken to go back to battle. Grief-stricken not at the damage being caused in his name, but at himself 
losing in combat. Fucking dink. Helen steps in here, voicing her own opinion on the matter, though first she does call herself a bitch and a cause of evil, a curse and an abomination, which I mean, is that totally true? It's certainly mostly Paris's fault. Even if the story of them being in love is true, Paris still sailed there knowing that Aphrodite had promised him Helen, who was married. He went looking for this woman who was clearly already married to someone else, and he fucked it up. Anyway, Paris basically concedes that he will go back to the battle after being fully guilted by his brother, but he's not super keen about it because he's a useless asshole. But Hector has more important things to deal with now than his shitty little brother. He's only in the city for a short time, he knows he needs to go back to the battle and fight, because he's certainly the brave one in the family. But with what little time he has left, he wants to see his wife and his baby son, both of whom he's not convinced he'll see again, because war fucking sucks. Hector finds his wife, Andromache, she with the most incredible name in all Greek mythology, with their baby and his nurse above the city overlooking the battle below. Andromache is not in a good place. She's been worried about Hector because of how poorly the Trojans have been doing, and when he finds her, she tells him in detail how badly she needs him to stay alive. She recounts how he is all she has left, because Achilles killed everyone else in her family. She was a princess in a nearby region, and Achilles raided her city and killed her entire family save for her mother, who he returned to Andromache in exchange for a massive ransom, only to have Artemis then shoot down her mother dead for reasons I don't quite understand. The point here being, Andromache has had it fucking rough. All she wants is her husband alive, to be there for her, and to continue to be a father to their newborn. Seriously, life fucking sucked for the Trojans. Also, I love Andromache and Hector. Let me also just say that I wrote that last sentence before I read the following stanza in the poem, and, well, fuck. There's this beautiful fucking anecdote about how Hector goes to reach for the baby whose name is Astyanax, and the baby is scared because Hector is wearing his armor and his horsehair-crested helmet, and so Hector removes it, and he and Andromache have a nice little laugh. It's goddamn adorable and makes this lovely couple so much more human. Goddamn you, Homer, why do you do this to us? After this beautiful moment, Hector wrestles himself away from his loving wife and brand new baby, and he returns to battle. Andromache is certain he won't return alive, and she begins to mourn her husband, even before he's gone. After meeting up with Paris on his way back to the battle, Hector and his newly brave brother head back to the battleground outside the walls of Troy. Shit is going down. In this new round of fighting, suddenly it's the Trojans who are killing the Greeks. The tables have turned! Seeing this, Athena is pretty distraught. We know how she feels about her male Greeks, you know. And so she meets up with Apollo, who is on the side of the Trojans, to discuss what they can do to calm things down for now. They decide that they will plan a duel between Hector and whoever the Greeks choose, and that that will calm the fighting down for the time being. I'm not entirely sure why they do this, but it seems to make a lot of sense to Athena and Apollo, so we'll trust their judgment. So Hector goes to the Greeks and the Trojans, and they all sit down to listen to him. Even Athena and Apollo transform themselves into vultures, and they watch from a nearby tree, reveling in the conflict. Hector offers himself up to the strongest Greek, whoever will fight against him. 
There's silence for a while. No one immediately stands up to take Hector's offer to fight. But finally, Menelaus stands up, about to offer himself to the duel. But before Menelaus can get very far, Agamemnon is on him. He tells him pretty bluntly that he can't beat Hector in battle. Even Achilles, he says, wouldn't be a for-sure win. Hector is pretty fucking tough and badass, and, well, you're just not, he basically tells his brother. Now you'll remember that Achilles is still sitting these things out, still at his camp with the rest of the Myrmidons and Patroclus waiting for an apology from Agamemnon. But meanwhile, the Greeks have to deal with the task at hand, and that is who will fight badass Hector and all his badassery. Eventually, nine Greeks emerge from the fray, each willing to fight Hector in his duel. Agamemnon, Diomedes, Ajax, and Teucer, Indomeneus and Meriones, then Eurypylus and Thoas, and finally, my main man Odysseus. Each of these Greeks are ready to fight. Now, of course, there are too many men, so Nestor, who was himself too old to competently fight Hector in this battle, suggests they draw lots to determine who will actually be the one to fight. It's determined that it's Ajax who will fight Hector. Ajax, you'll recall, is massive. Ginormous. Basically a giant. Anyway, he's a big dude. Bigger than Hector, for sure. Bigger than most. Ajax the Great! He's big, and he's intimidating, and he's trying to use this to his advantage. But Hector is a badass, as I've said before, and he is not intimidated. First, Hector throws his spear at Ajax. It pierces a number of layers of Ajax's shield, but it doesn't make it all the way through. So Ajax throws his spear at Hector. This time, it makes it through the armor and it slices at Hector below the ribs. But Hector moves just in the nick of time and he's not killed. Then begins some manic stabbing of spears, just incoherent stabbing in every direction. Stab, stab, stab! There's blood flowing and there's some painful moments, but the two are so evenly matched! Finally, they're stopped by a man who tells them, essentially, look, it's pretty clear that Zeus loves you both. You're not getting anywhere. You, you're you both really good at this, and no one is gaining any ground. Plus, it's getting dark. We need to get skedaddle in, because it's going to be dark soon, and no one wants to duel in the dark. That's a paraphrase, but the point stands. The two men agree. No one's getting anywhere, and neither want to fight in the dark. So Hector tells Ajax that he agrees that they'll call a truce for now, and both will go back to their camps or their cities and revel in a night of no fighting. We Trojans will go enjoy the company of our long-robed ladies, and you Greeks can, I don't know, hang out by your ships. Everyone will have a great old time, is basically what Hector announces to the group. But before they do that, they need to exchange important and expensive gifts. That's what you do, you see, when you've fought valiantly but no one wins and you just decide to stop fighting, you exchange fancy crap and leave the duel as best buds. And so, they do. Once the duel is, well, not really completed, but just over, Nestor gives another speech to the assembled Greeks. He applauds the non-duel and then suggests that they take another day off from fighting the next day and perform the necessary rites for the dead they've accumulated. The Trojans, on the other hand, hold their own assembly once their semi-victorious Hector is returned with his shitty brother Paris. An advisor, Antenor, speaks to the Trojans and announces that they've broken their solemn oath. You know, the one where Paris had to fight and he was just straight up whisked away to the comfort of his own bed? Yeah, that one. 
Anyway, Antenor makes the point that since that happened, they have to return Helen, because that was the deal, and Antenor's a good dude. Paris, on the other hand, is a little shit and says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not returning the woman. Yeah, in the translation I've got, she's just the woman. So Paris won't return the woman, but he says he is willing to give back all the other shit he stole when he left Sparta with Helen, all the treasure and whatnot. Yeah, that can be returned. But not the woman they're all fighting over anyway. And I mean, from a female point of view, if Helen is in fact in love with Paris and wants to be with him, then great, she really shouldn't have to go back. She shouldn't be forced to live an awful life just because of all this masculine male bullshit. But at the same time, that's not really what's being portrayed here. It's much more the idea that, according to Paris, Helen is rightfully his property, and he's not willing to give up his property. So that's nice. After Paris makes this shitty point, Priam steps up and announces that someone will bring this message to the Greeks in the morning, along with the proposition that they all take a break from the fighting so that both sides can deal with their dead, so at least they're on the same page on that one point. Of course, when the messenger brings this offer to the Greeks the next morning, he's met with a less-than-accepting response. Diomedes proposes a giant fuck that to the Trojans' proposal, though they do agree that each side may remove their dead and handle the rights in their own way. So, you know, that's something. Meanwhile, though, the gods are all watching all of this go down and each have their own opinions on the matter. Because, you see, the Greeks have been building forts and walls to protect all their ships, and for once, Poseidon is in the mix up on Olympus, and he's discussing his concerns with Zeus. You see, the wall surrounding the city of Troy was built in Poseidon's honor, and so he's pretty pissed to see the Greeks building a similar, if far shittier, structure without having sacrificed to the gods appropriately. Zeus, though, tells Poseidon not to worry himself because his wall is still far greater. Men and pointless, stupid border walls, am I right? Thank you all for listening, as usual. I have a fun new announcement this time, though, in that today's episode was brought to you via extra amazing help from Emily Sanchez. Emily's a listener who's doing a degree in classics, a good choice, Emily, and who has so, so graciously offered to help me with some of the research for the podcast. Emily helped immensely, providing me with awesome notes on the Iliad that made it so much easier for me to do this thing. Thank you, Emily. As usual, I would be so appreciative if you would rate and review on iTunes. It truly does help me, and ideally this thing grows fast enough in iTunes that I'm able to devote more time to this podcast, bringing you more episodes and more often. Wouldn't it be cool if I were able to do weekly episodes again? Let's help me make that happen, dear lovely listeners. I will also say that I finally released another Patreon-only episode, I've discussed the Disney movie Hercules in great, great detail, and boy, was it fun to do. Hopefully, all you lovely Patreon patrons agree that it's just as fun to listen to. Now that I've finally done that, I'd also love to get input on what movie or TV show I should watch next for those Patreon episodes. Feel free to reach out. I'm also working on ideas for a newsletter, since so many of you lovely folks want to stay in touch. So hopefully, stay tuned for more information on that. And if you want to sign up and haven't had a chance to already, you can add your email to my list by visiting my website, mythsbaby.com. Of course, as always, you can follow me everywhere. I'm Mythsbaby in all those places. 
Well, I don't always have time to respond to everyone. I do read all of your lovely messages and I'm always so thrilled to hear from you. Spread the nerd love, am I right? Anyway, I'm Liv and I obviously fucking love this shit. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.